Good morning, Crossbridge family, and welcome to Crossbridge Online. It is so good to be with you this morning. And if you're a guest with us, I especially want to welcome you and just say thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. And I just want to let you know that for all of Crossbridge, all the guests who may be watching today, that, that no matter where you are in your faith today, my hope and my desire is that you would be able to take one step towards Jesus because that's what we're all about here at Crossbridge. As well as you know here, um, I'm not a suit guy, so the idea of having a jacket for me just is unbelievably uh, unnerving. And I take my jacket off at night to shine as well. And how awesome was that video a second ago? The idea of our church showing up to look like Jesus for people and sharing those stories. Night to Shine is one of those events as we approach the next year that I cannot wait to gather in a large, safe group together. And, and I'm telling you, if you want to be involved in that next year, February 11th, 2022, Mark your calendars now because it's going to be a party and I just cannot wait for that. You know, today we are closing out our series. This is the fourth week of a series called The Difference a Year Can Make, where we have been looking at how much can change in a year. And people can make a lot of changes in a year. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in contact with someone who maybe had a, a major medical issue in their life and you haven't seen them? And then all of a sudden, after a year, you do see them. And instead of going out for burgers and beers, you find yourself at like salad works and they're having oil and vinegar and, you know, reprimanding you for your balsamic vinegar sugar as they've lost 30 pounds. But something major happened and they decided to change the way that they lived life. There are those times that maybe you have friends that you've hung out with for a very long time. And then all of a sudden, you begin to not hang out with them as much anymore because they got married and don't want to hang out with you as much as they want to hang out with their partner or their best friend that they're now married to. That's a great thing, right? But it's a major change in life that has redirected how they live. If you no longer see those friends or anytime you do see them, they look disheveled. I'll just tell you the major thing that's changed is they've probably had a kid and they're just gasping for air, right? A lot can change, but when major things happen in our life, things begin to shift. They don't always have to be bad things. They could be good things. They could be anything. I mean, if you've ever had a senior go off to college and the year that they're away at college, it's amazing how much they grow, isn't it? It's amazing that, that in one year they can learn all there is about the world and now as adults we're no longer smart because they've owned this. If you're coming out of your or freshman year of college, you know what I mean. I'm already wrong to you. I get it. But a lot can change in a year. If you've ever had those near-death experiences or know someone who does, and all of a sudden they weigh that they look at the relationships of their life or their adventure that they want to have, things can change a lot because they realize the end was almost there, but now they want to grab life for what it is and change. And even when we think about the death of a loved one and those who are closest to us, that type of grief and pain can change who we are and how we live, especially when we think like just a year, it could be a lifelong change that happens in our life. It changes the trajectory, but no matter what it is, we all have these major moments in our life where something has happened that has changed the way that we live, and a year afterwards, we're no longer the same type of person. We have these moments that happen, whether we expect them or plan them, it really doesn't matter. 
they've left us changed. And I wonder for you right now, as you probably have that moment in your mind in your own life going, oh, it was that marriage, that divorce, that birth, that death, that this, that, that, that moment in your mind. How many of us would point to the Easter story and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as that major moment that changed our life? I know that you're probably saying, Jimmy, well, that's not in my life. It's changed. That happened 2,000 years ago. But, but let's just be real. That one moment 2,000 years ago has changed the way that our entire world operates. I know that because you're here with me today. That you're watching with me today around some sort of screen with family, friends, maybe even by yourself, but a moment 2,000 years ago has brought you to this moment. Some of you, you have chosen to come with us today to celebrate, to celebrate a risen Lord. Others of you, you love someone so dearly who has dedicated their life to Jesus. You love someone who loves Jesus, and so you're showing up to support them today. Thank you. Others of you, you're begrudgingly watching on a couch because your family said this is what you're doing today and you're waiting for this to be over so you could get to lunch in a little bit. I understand, but wherever you are today, the story of Jesus has brought us together. And the question that I believe that we have to answer simply is this. How will this story impact your life today? How will this story impact your next year? This was actually a question that the followers of Jesus had to ask, and they had to ask this whether they liked it or not. You see, um, their story as followers of Jesus isn't so different from ours, if I'm being honest. It was a group of men and women who decided at some point in the three years that Jesus was walking around and teaching and preaching to say, what this man is saying, I agree with, or I want to know more. I'm going to dedicate my life and, and, and follow him to learn because I'm intrigued or I'm all in. From this group that followed, which ranged from you know hundreds to thousands, Jesus identified about 12 guys and said, I'm going to pour a little bit more life, a little bit more teaching, a little bit more instruction, and a lot more love into these guys. And out of those 12, he picked three. Um, you know, he picked Peter, James, and John as his kind of super tight-knit group that he shared a little bit more with them than he did even with those 12. They were like his best friends. And, and these guys, I would say, they really understood who Jesus was. They understood what he was saying. And, and that's why I want to look really quick at a conversation that one of them named Peter had with Jesus and see how close they were and how they just understood each other so much. And I'd love to look at this conversation found in the biography of Jesus written by one of his disciples named Matthew. And in this biography, in chapter 12, we read a story that is just absolutely fascinating to me. And it says this in Matthew 16, starting in verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. But on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter 
And he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. I, I love this passage for so many reasons because there's right in the beginning we see Jesus getting really real with the disciples. He's no longer hiding anything and he's like, guys, listen, there is a time that's coming that I need to head to Jerusalem and I'm going to be before the rulers of, you know, all these organizations, the religious organization, the government, and they're going to put me to death. And what I love is that Peter is not going to have it, right? Peter, he pulls Jesus aside to reprimand Jesus. I, I, there are times, I'm going to be honest with you, when things are happening in my life or I will read statements from Jesus and I kind of want to pull him aside and do the same thing Peter did. To pull him aside and say, do you really mean what you're saying here? And I think Peter got hung up on the idea that Jesus said he was going to be killed. I don't think he heard the resurrection piece. I think it ended at killed, that I will be killed. And so Peter reprimands him. Peter doesn't really trust in Jesus's plan that he has coming up. Now, I'm not sure how you would handle being called Satan by Jesus, but I'm telling you, if I were in Peter's shoes, I'm not sure that I'm going to be like, oh, sign me up for another couple of months or years. Like, put my name on that list. Like, you, you just called me your enemy. You just told me that I was ignorant. Jesus basically, like, clap backs at, at, claps back at Peter. It's like, whoa, 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 buddy, you don't understand what's going on here. And what I love about this is Peter does continue to follow Jesus. Peter does continue to say, I'm going to dedicate my life to you. And, and, and while this isn't his best day, let's admit it, it also isn't his worst day. I'd argue that his worst day is actually going to be found in a passage um, that we can see written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote a biography of Jesus. And in the biography of Jesus written by Luke, we find this moment in chapter 22, where they finished the Passover Seder together, and they're celebrating what we would call the Last Supper. And Peter turns to his or Jesus turns to his disciples, and, and he says in uh, verse 32 of Luke chapter 22, But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, who is also Peter, okay? But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers and sisters. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. Now, you remember, Peter has stuck with him even after he called him Satan, right? Peter is saying, it doesn't matter what you're talking about, Jesus. I'm going with you all the way. I know you just told me straight up that, that when I've repented and turned uh, you know, back to you, I'm never leaving you, is what Peter says. Like, I'm with you to the end. And instead of seeing, you know, he thinks he's super loyal here. And what Jesus does is points out something a little bit different to him. He says to him, Peter, you know, Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even die with you. And in verse 30, Four, Jesus claps back again at Peter and Jesus says, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times. You'll deny three times that you know me. This must have been an absolute shock to his system, right? Not knowing what to do with this. He just stood up to say, I will be loyal. And Jesus says, no, you will be a denier. 
You won't even know me. It'll be done. So when, when after this moment, it's kind of awkward, but Jesus was like, guys, I am so overwhelmed. Would you come to me to the garden to pray in this garden of Gethsemane, this olive you know, grove? And so they go into this garden to pray, and Jesus pulls his closest to him and says, I am so overwhelmed about the situation that we're walking into. Would you just, would you guard me and pray with me? And of course, they're like, yeah. And over and over, Jesus goes back to the disciples to find them sleeping. They're not guarding him. They're not protecting. They're not even praying with him. They're exhausted and taking a nap. And so when the mob comes to arrest Jesus, which he said was going to happen, when the mob comes, Peter, in his loyal state, takes out a sword and begins to swing and do the very thing that Jesus said, don't do. We will not be attackers. This is not who we are. The sword is not our way. And, but that's what Peter does. Why? Because Peter is bold and Peter is strong. And Peter says, I would never leave you. I'm going to death with you. And he's taking that literally. But what happens is, Jesus tells him to put the sword away. He does. Jesus is arrested. He's brought into the high priest's area of prison in the basement of his house. And Peter, following from a distance, finds himself in the courtyard of the guards. Why? Because he kind of wants to pick up on what's going on, pick up on what people are hearing. And, and the guards recognize him. And one says to him, I, I think I know you. And he says, no, 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 no. You don't know me. I wasn't with that Jesus guy. No, no. A second time. You knew Jesus. No, I, I didn't know him. But on the third time, when it's recognized that he was with Jesus, even from the way that he speaks, they recognize it. In Luke chapter 22, just a couple of verses later in, in verse 60, it says, but Peter said, here's his third response. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine the tension of this moment? You are so loyal. You are so strong. You've been the protector of Jesus. And now the very thing that he said would happen, happened. You've denied him three times before the evening was done. And the moment the third time happens, the rooster crows and your Lord looks right at you. He turns to look at you. What is the look on Jesus' face? Is it disappointment? Is it hopeful? Is it encouraging? Is it was, I knew, but I love you? I don't know what that look was. But I do know that it continues and says, suddenly, the Lord's words flash through Peter's mind before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You will deny three times that you even know me. And verse 62, and Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Peter knew it. The loyalist who followed him to the end ran away. He was a denier. He was a deserter. Maybe... Jesus should have just left him as a fisherman. Maybe that's all that he really was. And we don't really see him again for another two chapters. And 
all we know is he's among the disciples and Jesus' followers who, from a distance, they watch him die. You know, that, that day in between, that Friday and Sunday, that Saturday in between, I, I don't know what Saturday was like for Peter. I, I don't know if he slept that night. This is one of those major moments in someone's life that's going to shift the way that they live, right? Did he lie awake wondering, did I just waste the last three years of my life? Did, did he wonder, I wonder if I could go back home and my dad's got a job for me on the boat. Like, can I even go back because I left Can you imagine the darkness and the fog of Saturday for Peter? He didn't know Sunday was coming. He believed this was the end. There was no hope. It's why he ran and denied. In his mind, it's all over. And now all that he's known for is being a denier and a deserter. And would this be his story? Would this be what he had to tell his family? How in the world do you recover from something like this? And I have to wonder how many major moments in our own life have left us in this kind of despair. Where we lie awake in our beds at night wondering, how will I recover from this moment that just happened? I'd hate to admit it, but the truth is I know these sleepless nights awake where I begin to question my decisions, my choices. This probably could have destroyed Peter. But I will tell you that this was not his defining moment. Because on Sunday, everything changed. On Sunday, everything began to shift for Peter. On Sunday morning, when Mary came running back from the tomb to a room where all of Jesus' followers were gathered and grieving and said, Heads up, guys, the body's not there. Peter takes off with John, and John gets to the tomb, and Peter just blows by John, because John doesn't have the courage to go into the tomb, and Peter gets into the tomb. He sees that the stone is rolled away. He walks into the tomb, and he sees the rags laid out. There is no body, and, and he doesn't come into contact with Jesus in that moment, so we find that he ends up leaving this moment wondering what in the world just happened. What in the world is going on? Very soon after this moment, Jesus actually appears to his disciples and his followers in the flesh. Not some spiritual, ghosty type of being. He's in the flesh. He shows up to his disciples and he eats dinner with them. He sits at the table and sees them just like he did on Friday. Now on Sunday, they're eating together. And he explains to them and opens their eyes to understand all that he had done and said. And how he fulfilled what he said he was going to do. I wonder if when he told them, I told you I would rise again on the third day. If Peter went back to that Matthew 16 moment and said, oh my gosh, He did say that. I got stuck. He was going to be killed, and I never finished the story. I never understood it for what it was that he was serious. But now, instead of thinking just of the death, he thought and understood the resurrection. And and this must have shaken him again. A major moment, right? And I'm sure you're thinking like I am, that if this were to happen to me, I'd dedicate my life to this guy at any point. If someone who said they were going to die and then raised themselves from the dead actually did that, that's, worth, that's someone worth putting your trust in, right? 
That's, worth, that's someone worth going, yep, you did it. People have said it, never done it. Jesus said it and did it. I'll put my trust in you. But I'll tell you, I don't think Peter's there yet. And here's why. I don't think Peter could quite get over the lies of being a denier and a deserter. That this narrative in his mind that was reinforced in such a deep and intimate moment of being stared at by your Lord after you swore how different you would be, but you realized you weren't. That you were the deserter. That you were the denier. And I think that because in John chapter 21 another biography written by one of Jesus' best friends. It's such this beautiful, intimate story of Jesus. In John chapter 21, do you know where we find Peter after this dinner? He's fishing. He's fishing. Back in his normal fishing spot on the Sea of Galilee, a major event has a way of taking control of our lives. And, and while the resurrection of Jesus is a major event for Peter, so was the night of his betrayal. And I think sometimes we run into the issue of believing the lies of the major moments. And we believe those lies that we tell ourselves and that the enemy tells us, we believe that that's our narrative, that that's our truth. And even when we've seen the truth of Jesus, we're still not really sure that he could change who we are, that he could change who we've been and what we've done and the choices that we've made. If he only knew what I did, he wouldn't forgive me. He wouldn't love me. It's actually, I believe, easier for Peter to go back to fishing, even if it's not the best life for him, it's familiar and it's safer. Even if he's not the same person that he was three years ago when he was fishing, things are different for him now. At least maybe he could try to pretend things are normal, right? That's what he's going to go after. But it's not, is it? It's anything but normal. Except for the fact that this night while he's fishing, he spends all his time catching absolutely nothing. That's what we find him doing, catching nothing. And, and, and I imagine in John chapter 21, when he catches nothing, he's probably in that moment thinking, I got a bunch of disciples with me, these followers of Jesus, we're out fishing, I can't even do this right. I, I can't even fish. I wasted these years. I, I don't know what to do about Jesus being alive and like, how do I handle this? And, and believe it or not, there's a man as the dawn begins to approach who stands on the shore and calls out to the boat and says, why don't you try throwing your nets on the other side? And this is not a normal thing for people to do from the shore to say, hey, try the other side. The reason that doesn't make sense is because it's not like fish only swim on one side of the boat. If that was the case, when you go fishing, you would only you know, fish on one side of the boat and be laughing at the guy who's on the other side because fish only swim with, it, it doesn't make any sense. But what's wild is Peter has heard this phrase before. When Peter was with Jesus in a boat and he was having trouble catching fish, Jesus says to him, why don't you try casting them on the other side? And in obedience, he does and catches so many fish that the nets break. And now those very words that were spoken years ago are spoken again from a man on the shore. And I wonder in that moment if Peter again went, I know those words. And in obedience, they cast the nets. 
And there are so many fish in these nets. The nets don't break this time, but it's more fish than they know what to do with, like over 150 of them. And as they begin to pull it in, John, the writer of this biography, is like, yo, I know that guy. That's Jesus. And Peter, he's right into the water swimming to Jesus. He's right into there. And, and, and now he ditches the boat. He ditches the fish. He ditches the facade of a normal life to get to Jesus. And when he gets to shore, Jesus doesn't yell at him and say, how could you go back to fishing? How could you go back to leading the normal life that you lived before? How, how could you do this? But instead, we find that he's got breakfast ready to say, let me feed your soul and your body because you're probably exhausted from this. And I, I, I want to have a conversation with you. And in that conversation, this intimate, beautiful moment between the two of them, Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter says, yes, I love you. And just like the three times that he could have said, why did you deny me those times? He invites him to love him those same amount of times. He invites him into this relationship to the point where at the end and the last time when he says, do you love me? And Peter says, of course I do. He says, good, then feed my sheep. Basically, Peter, take care of my disciples and become a declarer. Instead of hiding and running, the time has come to speak up and to declare the story of Jesus. And a lot can change in a year. Because from that moment of the resurrection and Peter's encounter with him over dinner and at the beach, I will tell you that in that next year, everything changes in Peter's life. When you look at the life of the early church through Acts, what you find is that after they are filled with the Holy Spirit, these once deniers and deserters stand up at every opportunity to declare the story of Jesus. It doesn't matter where they're going, what they've done, or who they're with. They are ready to declare the love and forgiveness that Jesus has brought. Instead of running from tension, they now find that they're in the center of it all. In Acts chapter 2, like when I said, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to boldly declare the story of Jesus and people start to listen. Why would anyone listen to Peter and to all these disciples? I think the reason that they would listen in is simply because they knew his story as a deserter and a denier. They knew who he was as just a regular old fisherman. And what he's doing now is so different that they would say something has changed this year. He wasn't just the fisherman who followed Jesus anymore. He was a dedicated follower of Jesus. He, he was telling all that he could, something that they needed to know, that they too did not have to live in the lies and the darkness of their past mistakes and their major mess-ups, but that Jesus Christ, the Son of God who was murdered in the very city that they're in weeks prior, was killed, buried, but defeated death by rising from the dead on the third day, just like he said he was going to do. And in doing so, he brought hope to people who had none. He didn't just preach it, though. Peter actually lived this out. When he saw people who needed something, he stepped right into it, even to the point of finding someone who was a beggar, who was lame, they could not walk. And he says, I don't have anything to give you, but in the name of Jesus, I'll give you what I have. Get up and stand up and walk. And the guy did. And because he was healed, it drew all this attention to which, what do you think Peter did? 
Did he run from the attention? Did he go away? No, he declared the grace, the forgiveness, and the welcoming love of God to all people who would listen. And the teachers of the law got so frustrated at him just like they did Jesus. And so they arrest him. They bring him in before the council, and these would be the very people who he ran from on the Friday night. The very courtyard of the people who have the right to wreck him in their faith. And so he boldly declares once again the story of Jesus to those people who tried, at least in his mind, they would have tried to kill him, but they don't know what to do with him right now. In Acts chapter 4, we actually read in verse 13, and I absolutely love this passage. In Acts 4.13, it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. The members of this council saw just ordinary fishermen. A fisherman. No training, no schooling, but what set them apart from every other regular, normal fisherman was evident to the members of the council, and it's right at the end of verse 13, where it says, they also recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. Peter wasn't the same man that they knew. And while his denials and his desertions, they probably could have been that defining moment in his life, they were not what defined him. He was not defined by what he did. He was defined by who he was with. And if you didn't pick that up, let me say it again for you, because the council members, they were ready to define him by what he did, but he was not defined by what he did. He was defined by who he was with. The resurrection of Jesus and a relationship with him changed this life. It was a major moment that for the next year, things would never be the same for him. And while this is just the first month after the resurrection, the next seven chapters or the first seven chapters of Acts are just the first year. A lot can change and happen in a year because Peter grows bolder, more confident, and Jesus continues to teach him what it really means to feed my sheep, all my sheep. The resurrection is not just a a once a year celebration that we have together. This is a moment that changes every day that we live in. What could turn a group of deniers and deserters into a a group of declarers? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When someone tells you that they will be killed and will rise again and physically appear with you, You could put your faith in them and their trust in them. And it's amazing the difference a year can make. We've all had those major moments in our life that have changed us, but I I do wonder how many of those moments have also placed lies in our minds about who we are. Are we deserters? Are we deniers? Are we cheaters? Are, Are we liars? Are we hopeless? Are we always going to disappoint or be that way? 
Are we so overwhelmed at night that we're looking to just try to get back to some sense of normalcy to make all this pain and all these lies and hurt go away? Or are we men and women who are defined by who we are with? Defined by our radical faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so the question that I posed earlier that we have to answer today is, what does this major moment of the resurrection mean for you? And for me today, where is your faith today? Is it in the lies of the past or the resurrection and the year that is ahead? If you're here with us this morning and you are in that celebration group and you have placed your trust in Jesus, I want to ask you, how have you grown this year? And how could the next year look if you really placed a deeper trust and intimacy and care? in your relationship with Jesus on the everyday, that it wasn't when it, it works for you, but it was a dedication like Peter had. That's what we celebrate. If you're with us and, and, and maybe you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, I, I simply want to ask, why not? What is it that's defining your life? What moments do you have major in your life that, that have hung on and defined who you are? Because I believe that Jesus frees us from the lies and the burdens of the past of being regular old fishermen or regular old whomever so that we could be declarers and inviting people into the love of God. If you have not placed your trust in Jesus, I, I, I would just want to pause really quick and say, you could do this and invite you to pray with me right now. If you feel that and you're like, I've been clinging and I, I want to dedicate my life to Christ. Would you just pause and pray with me really quick? It's a simple prayer. There's nothing special about it. You're not going to find it in the Bible, but, but maybe you just need words. And let me help you with that right now. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I, major moments have defined me, and I believed some of the lies that the enemy placed on me. Jesus, I want to place my trust in you, who said you would die, and I believe has risen from the dead, and I want to be in a relationship with you. Would you fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I could trust more in you and declare your grace and forgiveness to all in my life. Jesus, thank you. I love you. I trust you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us this morning, would you just do me a quick favor and drop us a quick email at prayer at crossbridgecc.org, prayer at crossbridgecc.org, so that we can help walk with you as you take steps closer to Jesus. Could you imagine the difference a year could make in your life and mine and the life of Crossbridge if, if all of us dedicated ourselves to Jesus the way that Peter did that first year? Maybe we need those reminders, not just dinner with Jesus at the table, but, but in our everyday life. It's not just the major moments that he's with us, but it's in the everyday that follows. He was with Peter then, with all the disciples that year, and then every year since he's promised to always be with us, to never leave us or forsake us. Today, we walk with Jesus, and I'm so thankful for that. We celebrate the resurrection today just as much as every other day. And today, I also want to just encourage you, you know, Becky had mentioned earlier that we would be celebrating communion together, and if you remember, it was around the communion table that Jesus had these beautiful conversations with 
the disciples, and, and, and he held up the cup and the bread to them before they had ever made decisions to desert, to deny, before their actions ever defined who they were, he was reminding them at communion, at the Passover Seder, about his love for them. And so I can't think of a better way to end our service today than by celebrating communion together. So I want to give you just a, a couple seconds to go gather the things if you haven't yet, and uh, I'll join you right back here in just a couple seconds. So feel free to go grab your stuff. We'll be right back. as we celebrate communion. And just before we broke, I reminded you how much I love the communion table and this idea that Jesus had spent the evening with the disciples before his death, celebrating the Passover Seder, celebrating this moment where Jewish people would remember the story of their freedom from Egypt and had a whole meal based around God's deliverance. And yet Jesus looks at his disciples, his closest followers, before they could ever do anything to win his approval or win you know, his grace, they needed to do nothing. And Jesus in this Seder holds up the bread and, and, and as he holds up the bread or the cracker, whatever it is that you have, you know, he, he says to them, this is my body that's been broken for you. And, and then he holds up the cup and in the Passover Seder, the cup he would have held up after dinner is the cup of redemption. And he says, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins right poured out for all of us and i don't think they understood in that moment what jesus was asking them to do and it simply was would you come together around this table and remember this moment because when you're ready to flee and you are ready to go i was always still here for you and so today we celebrate that together that we come to a table virtually together to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ. So would you gather at your table together and, and just grab your cracker, grab your bread, whatever it is, and in doing so, would you just, if you can, take a moment to break it and listen. Listening to that crack, that idea that it was Christ's body that was broken for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, my sins and yours. And as you take the cup, would you depending on how your family or your unit is, or if you're solo, you could feel free to dip your bread into the cup, or you could take them separately, but Crossbridge, family, together today we celebrate Jesus, his, his death, his resurrection, and we celebrate Jesus together, and we remember him. Would you eat and would you drink with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for your sacrifice for us. That while we were deserters and deniers, you've made us declarers. And that there is so much hope that we live in every single day because of the resurrection. And we remember you and your sacrifice, but we remember you and the life that you bring and have given to us today. 
We celebrate this not just for Easter, but tomorrow as Easter tide begins and we celebrate that this movement continues. Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Crossbridge, I miss you. I love you. I cannot wait to be back together as a full family as things begin to get safer for people to gather. But until then, we will be back here 10 a.m. together wherever you're watching from. And next week we are going to be kicking off a great series called The Best is Yet to Come with the idea simply around you could place your trust in Jesus and what do you do? You wait with expectation and the best is yet to come and we'll be looking at a fascinating story in the Old Testament of um, uh, two women named Ruth Naomi and a man named Boaz and what it means for him in their relationship. It's going to be outstanding. You're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you're right back here at 10 a.m. Crossbridge, I love you. I'll see you next week. Happy Easter.